Hi, I'm Victoria Starek Samorin, co-founder and director of strategy at the Council on GeoStrategy, the newest foreign affairs think tank based in the heart of London. And this is GeoStrategy 360, our weekly podcast which discusses key geopolitical and environmental security challenges with politicians, experts, diplomats and business people. Russia's war in Ukraine has generated a new sense of urgency in providing security assistance to Europe. And this is particularly true when it comes to the eastern flank of NATO and the Baltic states. At the same time, it has also undoubtedly revived NATO. For the first time in its history, the NATO response force has been deployed as part of a collective defense mission. Sweden and Finland are applying for membership and countries which refuse to spend 2% of their GDP for their defense have come to a realization that this is not a luxury, yet a necessity. And today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the Member of Parliament of Latvia, Representative Richard Kohls, with whom I'm delighted to have an opportunity to discuss Baltic security concerns, the security situation on the eastern flank of NATO in the light of the war in Ukraine, and the expected decisions at the upcoming NATO summit in Madrid. As an incumbent since 2018 of the SEMA, the Parliament, Mr. Kohls currently serves as the Chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee of the Parliament in Latvia and stands as the official representative to the OECD for the Latvian Parliament. In addition to his public duties, he continues to share his time with the community, serving as a member of the board in non-governmental organizations, including Gf Center for Competence and European Movement in Latvia. So, Mr. Kohls, welcome to GeoStrategy 360. Thank you, Victoria. It's good to be here. So, Mr. Kohls, you, of course, come from Latvia, and I would really be keen to hear your perspective, the Baltic perspective, Latvian perspective, on what is currently happening in Ukraine. In Ukraine, it's the war that Russia is conducting aggressor and Ukraine is defending not only its sovereignty and territorial integrity, actually Ukraine is fighting Europe's war. Uh, I have to say that Europe is at war with Russia. Uh, physically, of course, Ukraine is doing the, um, you know, the physical part, uh, whereas the rest of the Europe is exposed to the hybrid threats, hybrid attacks, and this is not just after the 24th of February. I mean, Ukraine is in war with Russia since 2014. And this is something that we have been reminding for years to our Western colleagues as well, uh, raising the alarms on the ambitions, the imperialistic ambitions of Russia. And what we see right now, when Russia has exposed their true intentions, there, there was no attempt to withhold the NATO expansion. Uh, there was no, um, you know, uh, aim to withhold the European enlargement. What we see, the latest remarks made by Putin, is purely imperialistic ambition by Russia, as to as they understand, to take their rifle lands back in their uh, control. So this is existential question for Europe, for stability and peace for security. So therefore, this is a time where we should not only issue, you know, papers on deep concern and etc. We have actively, we have to actively support Ukraine, both financially, military, as much as we can. Because Ukraine has to be victorious in this war that Russia is waging. And of course, when it comes to Russia itself, we all understand that we're in a long-term confrontation. Absolutely. This is not going to be a sprint. This is going to be, you know, a marathon. 
And from as far as I understand, and usually the question is, okay, what's the end game, right? Especially from the West. Well, first it's that Ukraine wins, that they maintain their territorial integrity um, and, and sovereignty. And the second is strategic defeat of Russia. And that necessarily means by military means, but in so many uh, other ways that Russia is incapable to amass such a military power that it can threaten its neighboring countries. So I think this is where we stand right now. And I think the realization of these existential threats, we see uh, the huge paradigm shifts in thinking on several EU member states that have been neutral so far in, in different you know, conflicts uh, and on, on other issues as well, now taking very active and clear stance uh, on the Russia's war in Ukraine. We can mention the countries like Switzerland has been neutral several hundred years. The neutrality has been lifted. They are imposing sanctions on Russia. Um, and that is, you know, it, it is a unique uh, situation. And then we see um, the paradigm sh shift in Sweden and Finland within three months if the general public was less keen uh, when it comes to membership, uh, the, the membership question in, uh, in NATO, uh, then right now is the uh, majority of uh, Finnish and Swedish people that support uh, uh, Finland and Sweden membership in NATO. So they, that followed with applica uh, application for membership as well. Uh, that is already clearly showing the, the dimensions of what Russia has triggered uh, since the uh, 24th of February. And of course, it's not only limited to uh, Europe. I mean, for Latvia, for the Baltic countries, for small countries in, in, in the rest of the Europe, what is really important, which is also an existential question, that we maintain rules-based international order. And, and this is something where, of course, in lights of uh, supporting Ukraine, we still have to keep focus on international institutions to maintain their credibility, their authority, because what we see, it's not only Russia, but authoritarian regimes that are very aimlessly targeting international institutions, undermining and trying to impose different set of um, world order, I would say. Of course, somebody will say that, you know, the world order is set by the uh, West. Yeah, but on what values? The values we all share, uh, democratic values, you know, it's solidarity, freedom, uh, liberty, uh, and all of these. And, you know, the authoritarian regimes are actually challenging that. It's not only Russia, it's China. And there's several other wannabe authoritarian uh, regimes and countries in the world. Sorry, I went into too much length on your first question, but it's it, it's very complex. But it it is a, a tectonic shift in thinking in in many European countries and capitals, and the realization that naivety that was there for let's say for the past ten fifteen years, we're pleased to see that the pink 
glasses have been lifted off and we see what is what. And the realization that we actually need to strengthen, not only, you know, the questions for so long has been deterrence. We have to talk about defense. Deterrence apparently is not enough. So, Mr. Kors, thank you so much for this um, really wide overview. But let's now um, focus more on the Baltics. So you've mentioned the word existential. Well, obviously, it's an existential question now. How do we ensure that Europe and, well, the Euro-Atlantic region and even the global world order is more secure and stable? But when it comes to Baltics, what have been the most recent developments concerning the security situation in the Baltics since the reinvasion began back in February this year? Well, we, uh, I think we have to start since uh, 2014. Um, that was when, you know, the Baltics as well raised uh, the, the, the concern of the long-term ambitions that Russia might have uh, when it comes to Ukraine. Um, and, you know, the, uh, we were the ones that really uh, speak out loud on increasing the NATO presence on the eastern flank. Uh, that resulted in, uh, uh, in, in a Warsaw summit well, some of the decisions made to establish the battle groups in the Baltics uh, as a deterrent um, uh, capabilities for NATO. Of course, we do uh, applaud at that time for those decisions, but that was 2016. And in 2022, the uh, security environment is total, has totally changed. And what, uh, let me elaborate on that, because it's uh, not only Russia waging war, full-scale war on, on Ukraine, It's also what we're seeing in other neighboring country, Belarus. Um, 2020, we saw, you know, red elections and illegitimate President Lukashenko maintaining in power. Um, that caused also a concern, a long-term concern, that with a time, Russia can consume the whole Belarus. Uh, and that is what we're seeing in the past two years. That is coming to fruition. From our point of view, uh, Belarus is not anymore a sovereign country. Uh, it is militarily-wise dependent on, on Russia. Russia has its troops in Belarus. They have uh, establishing permanent bases as well. And that means that is totally different security environment uh, where the Baltics are uh, right now. And why I'm saying this is that uh, after the 24th of February, um, the Article 4 was triggered uh, by the Baltic countries in Poland. And uh, that meant that the Baltic defense plan was activated, put in motion. Um, but what I have to specify in this area, the uh, Baltic defense plan was first drafted in 2016. And due to the internal collisions within the NATO, uh, it wasn't adopted uh, in the next three years. So I, if I'm not mistaken, it was adopted in 2019. And of course, as I mentioned, the uh, huge changes in security uh, environments in our region, uh, the defense plan is outdated. It needs to be as soon as possible reviewed and uh, boosted, and boosted by uh, increased presence of uh, NATO in the Baltic countries. Yes, we are pleased to see that, I hope, uh, that is hope, uh, that by Madrid summit um, this year, Uh, this month, actually, at the end of the month, uh, Sweden and Finland uh, will join NATO, will be full-fledged members, but we already know there is internal issues. Uh, one of the member states is unacceptably, from our point of view, um, uh, 
putting on the table ultimatums and you know it's unacceptable i mean there is conditionality and the applicant country is fulfilling all of those there shouldn't be any additional uh, member states uh, ultimates to be put on the table it's not up to turkey it's a, the alliance uh, overall decision so <clears throat> of course we um, have to also talk about the strategic concept of, of nato that will be adopted and what the baltic countries and latvia is looking for uh, at the madrid summit that it won't be just you know uh, a declarative uh, meeting where you have you know announcements like yes we've never been united as as now never before we all understand those reassurances they're needed to be echoed but what we want to see is the practical decisions being made uh, one of those is uh, to increase the size of the battle groups from uh, battalion size to brigade size in all three baltic countries plus uh, followed by enablers as well uh, then of course we have to address the challenge uh, what we are closely following on Russia's waged war in Ukraine, what are the strengths and what are the weaknesses uh, in, in this warfare? And obviously we see the, the weakness uh, in Ukraine is the air defense uh, capabilities. Uh, and that could actually, if we look at the Baltic countries, is the same weakness. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have at this point uh, a proper air defense systems and, you know, As you might know, the, the, these systems are very costly. And when it comes to defense expenditure, I mean, we are way beyond the 2%. Uh, all three Baltic countries have watched already by not just political decision, but by legislative decision to uh, increase the defense expenditure uh, 2.5% from our GDP. Uh, but even combined, three Baltic countries' defense expenditure, all of it, to acquire these air defense systems, Uh, will be shortfallen because there's a very costly uh, and um, so therefore we have to talk, talk within the NATO uh, about the burden sharing as well. Um, you know, we are the external border of NATO, the eastern flank. We are actually the ones who are withholding uh, uh, the, the aggressor. Uh, so therefore, member states that are maybe not on the front line Uh, could give some contribution in strengthening the capabilities that we lack. Uh, and that is for mutual uh, benefit. If we are safe, the rest of us safe, right? Uh, so that is uh, another question that uh, should be addressed and decisions should be uh, made. And of course, with I, as I said, I do hope Finland and Sweden will join, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. One of the key vulnerabilities um, when it comes to the Baltic states from the defense perspective is the Sorelki Corridor. Yes. And I would like to hear your views as to how you see this issue could possibly be overcome. Well, that is a vulnerability, but it doesn't mean that that is already a, a pre, you know, pre recipe for the disaster. So therefore, that is, again, uh, uh, another necessity that is based our uh, requirements, requests for the NATO to increase the presence. Um, uh, I think the um, overall landscape might change security-wise after Finland-Sweden joins. I mean, there's there's been already being used the term, it's not anymore the Baltic Sea, it's the NATO Sea. 
uh, you know, all the countries that are the, the Baltic Sea are NATO members that will be NATO member states. Uh, so therefore, Slovakia, so, uh, of course, is, it's of concern, but it shouldn't be uh, stated that this is it. I mean, this is a challenge that we cannot overcome. I mean, NATO is a capable military alliance, and uh, the decisions made of rapid response, the the uh, uh, control and command, uh, we can safeguard uh, those risky areas as well. Absolutely. We've covered, um, to some extent, the recent applications of Sweden and Finland, of course, to join the alliance and to solidify NATO and strengthen the collective security of the alliance. Now, at the same time, of course, there are some challenges, and we know that the process might take a couple of months at least, um, in addition to the issues caused by uh, Turkey, which uh, threatened a couple of times to ban um, these countries from joining for certain reasons. Do you see any risks for the stability of of the region, um, the Baltic region, the Nordic region, in the upcoming months? And also at the same time, how do you think um, the alliance should uh, encourage Turkey to be on the same page? Oh, good questions. Uh, I mean, at, at least from our assessment, there is no immediate threat uh, to our region uh, uh, at this stage, at this point. Uh, we maintain our high readiness. Um, that is, you know, as a NATO, but also as individually uh, countries. Uh, of course, we are not sitting just back and, you know, relax following what's happening, uh, closely monitoring. Um, the, the readiness is high. Uh, the uh, mood, which is also an important aspect, in the Baltic countries in Latvia, there is no, you know, fear in, uh, fear in the air. Uh, I would say the uh, overall uh, mood is, is calm. Uh, I know there's been a lot of questions, you know, posing, are, are you afraid that, you know, Russia might, you know, you will be the next and so on. And, and it's also kind of a slightly twisted question. Um, I know even President Zelensky has said that, you know, if the West doesn't uh, keep up on the support for Ukraine military-wise and etc., uh, then Baltic countries will be next. And for us, of course, it's like you cannot just cut out one part of NATO and say that this will be the separate entities that will be attacked. If Russia moves, it moves against NATO. So that should be very clear. And, you know, we also say that the, the reassurances that we, we hear uh, time again and again, which is good to, to reassure for the general public, you know, for the, from the secretary, gen, uh, general secretary as well, uh, from the um, uh, President Biden that, uh, every inch of NATO member state countries will be uh, defended and protected. Uh, you know, from our point of view, inch is already too much. Uh, you know, we, we, we think in a metric measures, so millimeters. So sorry, I, I just went, you know, I, I wanted to use this kind of uh, axiom as well. Um, but overall, with the, with the Turkey... Well, personally, it doesn't surprise me that Turkey acts in this way. I think uh, President Erdogan is using momentum to gain some, you know, benefits, I would say, because 
we know that since 2016, the, the relationships between certain NATO member states uh, have deteriorated with Turkey. Uh, and then, then, you know, not only in Europe, but across the Atlantic as well. Um, I think the, the mood in Turkey is, uh, we see for the past two years, to actually try to reestablish uh, relationships and there's been different indications at the EU level we see the cooperation on the Eastern Mediterranean we see the cooperation when it comes to uh, Cyprus Greece format as well uh, we see the cooperation on migration as well um, uh, we see also uh, the uh, when it comes to Ukraine the support as well I mean Erdogan has been very vocal uh, uh, on, on this part so right now the uh, ultimatums that have been said I, I mean it's mainly, I understand, uh, in, in regards to uh, Kurdish Working Party. Um, there's certain other items as well, uh, as, you know, the long-standing issue on the S-400 systems uh, as well. But I think all of that can be overcome. And I think, you know, both Turkey and, and Sweden and Finland, vis-a-vis -vis also our, you know, strategic allies, will find a common, uh, you know, Round to, to, to sort those uh, issues, and Sweden and Finland will be members of, of NATO. How do you generally evaluate the response from the NATO alliance to the reinvasion by Russia of Ukraine? Um, what, what more could be done, in your view? Again, you, you pose very good questions. I mean, there, there's, there can always be more to be done. Uh, but I think uh, what was really important, and I think that was the miscalculation by, by, by Putin and his cronies, uh, that um, NATO is divided, EU is divided. Uh, I think that the, the notion he got was, you know, Biden, new administration coming to power. Then you, then you saw the Nord Stream 2, Merkel signing, you know, with the agreement with the U.S., then you have the uh, collision between France and, and, and Australia, the AUKUS, and as well. And I thought that, you know, um, he might strike because, you know, there won't be a, such a strong response and, and etc. Well, I, I'm pleased to see that he failed in these, you know, uh, assessments and actually NATO uh, responded very strong, uh, united uh, in one voice in particular, but in particular when it came to um, in December when Putin issued these ultimatums. Uh, and it was, it was also already interesting to see that ultimatums were issued in different levels. One was to the US and one was to the NATO itself. And uh, what was good to see that we really stood united and we disregarded any of those ultimatums. Yes, we um, uh, as a West, we said, uh, we tried to talk, to dialogue, and not negotiations, but dialogue, because, you know, uh, the um, uh, enlargement policy or the right to apply for the membership cannot be dictated for any third country, or to, especially through some kind of ultimatums. This is not going to be accepted, and it's uh, never be accepted. So, and, and I think the, the West tried utmost to deter um, Russia for invading Ukraine. But as we now know, all of that was a theater spectacle from Putin himself. 
I mean, we saw it from the pre-recorded Security Council meetings. Uh, so all of that ultimates and etc. was just, you know, a charade. Uh, I think they already were long pre-planning the uh, uh, full-scale attack on, on uh, Ukraine. Um, I think we, we saw the first indications last uh, spring, the massive concentration of Russian troops at the Ukrainian border. Um, that was actually the time that the Baltics as well raised the, 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 the red flag that, you know, we, we need to um, uh, bolster the, the, uh, the, uh, the readiness and, 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 and uh, an analysis of what, what is happening. So <clears throat> I would say that um, support for Ukraine, again, I cannot speak on all NATO member states, but individually, there were ones who instantly responded and then and, and, uh, supported, not waiting for, you know, joint decisions. Um, Latvia was one among one of those countries. Uh, we actually provided um, lethal weapons uh, just a day before the invasion. And I, 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 I get the uh, uh, remarks from our Ukrainian colleagues and they're saying actually that if if it wasn't for the Latvian javelins being shipped on the twenty third, um, Kiev, you know, would have been totally different outcome. And actually, the javelins helped to to you know kick back the the the, the Russian um, offensive. So afterwards, what what followed. Um, I think yeah, I will not name what systems and what quantities have been supplied, but I would say that in a comparison, uh, we'd never brag about, you know, publishing what exactly we're providing and what we're ready and when and how. We we're just doing it. And if we look right now, four months uh, after, you know, Russia's invasion, uh, Latvia itself has provided almost close to 2% from its GDP in assistance, both financial, humanitarian, and uh, lethal military weapon systems as well. So that's a huge amount. Um, and what we are saying that we encouraged for countries that capabilities to provide this assistance have much more vast opportunities are uh, hesitating. We, they should... Uh, speed up the deliveries. I mean, we see the uh, somewhat, I would translate it as the really sickening competition in a way of, you know, who will announce what uh, and to be delivered, but they never deliver. And this is something really, you know, uh, it's enough with the PR games. People are in Ukraine are dying for us. Actually, they're dying, dying in hundreds each day. And for us to hesitate that, you know, with delivering one or another weapon system will provoke Russia. Uh, I mean, sorry, I have no comments for that. You know, the, the hesitation. I know at some point, you know, the um, nuclear weapon card was constantly pulled out. I was just curious at what point Russia will start to, you know, threaten it. The West is providing support and so on. And uh, if we are saying that, you know, we are the 
greatest, strongest military alliance in world history. We cannot provide humanitarian corridors, or we cannot block or make the blockage in the Black Sea. Are we really worth that title? Sorry, I'm being right now. I'm being very, you know, skeptical on those things that we are very proudly hitting our our chests. But then, when we look in reality, when we need to have the concrete action, we start to, you know, uh, lever on on those things. Um, Mr. Cole, so we touched on this to some extent, um, but Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg joined the leaders of seven NATO allies in Hague on Tuesday um, earlier this week to help to prepare for the alliance's summit in Madrid, which is coming up later this month. The Secretary General said that the upcoming summit would be historic and transformative, including the decisions on strong support for Ukraine or the short and longer terms. And he also underlined that allies will agree a major strengthening of our posture, which will require more robust and combat-ready forward presence, even higher readiness, and more pre-positioned equipment and supplies. How can this strengthening of posture look like in your, in your view? Well, I already described what, what is necessary for the Baltic region. Uh, because we don't talk anymore about the deterrence. We have to go, you know, in, uh, defense policy. Uh, and that requires totally different uh, presence, both equipment, uh, troops on the ground, um, the weapon systems, and etc. cetera. Um, so therefore, these announcements, of course, I do welcome, but, you know, the devil is in the details. Um, so when you hear uh, Germany, you know, a few weeks ago, stating that they support um, brigade-sized battle groups in all three Baltic countries. And then, two, you know, after two weeks, they say that, you know, uh, the 3,500 German troops will not be sent to Lithuania. They will be stationed in Germany. What is that? Do you explain me? What is that? It, it doesn't work that way, uh, uh, at least as far as I understand. So therefore, I, I mean, I do welcome what has been decided uh, already to strengthen overall the eastern flank, the new battle groups in uh, Romania and uh, Slovakia. I absolutely uh, support that. Uh, but uh, as I said, uh, the, the absolute minimum uh, for the Baltic region defense uh, capability increase are those things that I mentioned during uh, the beginning of our interview. Um, Mr. Course, last year, the Integrated Review, um, the biggest overview of foreign and defense policy here in the United Kingdom, which was published last March, um, named Russia as the most acute threat to the security interests of the country. Obviously, that has been the case in the Baltics, at least since regaining the independence in the early 1990s, well, now three decades ago. Um, but let's look into the future. So we know that Russia is there and, well, it will remain there. How should we deal with the Russian regime in the longer run to make sure that our security... Well, defense by denial, uh, absolutely. I mean, what I mentioned, you know, the, the, the deterrence, it's not working anymore. It's defense by denial as well. Um, I don't see any prospects or any avenues of uh, having the forms of dialogue. Uh, absolutely uh, not, and, you know, especially until, you know, Russia has withdrawn all its troops from uh, Ukraine, uh, occupied territories as well. Um, so therefore, I don't see any pr 
prospects uh, to have any engagement. I actually, what I would argue that we have to work more harder uh, internationally to to uh, to isolate Russia uh, from international institutions that it, it is abusing in so many different ways. Um, sorry, that is Russia needs to learn how to lose, and it's only not for the political elite; it's for the general society. Because I think you know the it's also important the what's happening within the society in Russia, and unfortunately, and I use this term, uh, Russia society is an induced coma already for two decades, and this you know. Medicine is being added, added, added. And if there is somebody who's waking up from this induced, artificially induced coma, either they're imprisoned or they're in exile. So therefore, there is no large awakening within Russia. I don't see any huge changes in at least foreseeable future. Mr. Kors, thank you so much for a fascinating conversation and for sharing Latvian perspective as well as your important insights. And this is GeoStrategy 360, the Council on GeoStrategy podcast, which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. You can listen to GeoStrategy 360 on all major podcast platforms and you can find all our podcasts on our website www.geostrategy.org.uk slash podcasts.